0: Training the Complete Athlete, gaining the performance edge with Coach Koss. To find out more, go to trainthecompleteathlete.com. So I'm excited to uh, introduce Chris Edwards uh, to the show. Um, My time at Concordia, I was blessed to work with a lot of outstanding uh, student athletes, not just in my sport, but um, pretty much across the board. And Chris was one of the all-time coolest kids the one that was super involved Um, one of the people i i truly respect how he um, took on his college experience Um, he wasn't just an athlete he was involved in so many things he was engaged in leadership and he continued on to play after uh, college and went overseas and so he's got a great amount of experience and great insight um and so Chris played at Concordia for just two years. And I often forget that because he did so many things. Um, he had a high scoring game of 30, uh, 33 points and, tw- and then his high for rebounds was 21. And in two years alone, he was fourth in a uh, school record for rebounds, which is unbelievable to think that you did it with only two years. Usually people are giddy to do that you know, with four. Um, so he was actually honorable mention both in 2006, uh, both junior and senior year. And then he went on to play uh, in Germany and he was actually awarded player of the year. This last season, he was able to make it his way home right before the COVID outbreak, which I'm glad he was safe uh, back in the United States and being stuck in Europe. Um, but he had the two years there and he was a major impact player. Uh, he was actually uh, won the most efficient award, which I think is a fascinating award because in basketball, you know, you could shoot, you know, one for 30 or take 50 shots and make 20 of them. But how efficient are you really being? So I think that's a great category. But one of the things, um, that really stood out when I was getting to know Chris, um, he was at a fellowship of Christian athletes meeting and he had, he, he spoke about his time growing up and being an African American, um, Uh, man and it was so insightful so that's what I'm really excited Uh, so I want to welcome Chris to the program and we are excited to hear kind of his story of what it's been to be uh, an athlete from being a young athlete uh, to be a professional athlete as an African-American especially with everything that's going on right now and you have a great voice so we're excited to hear kind of your perspective on things
1: yeah thank you thanks for letting me be here I'm, I'm happy to help always glad to speak out, mainly because I like talking, but also because I like to help people out.
0: So tell us a little bit about what growing up was like for you, because you didn't grow up in the Pacific Northwest. So tell us a little bit about growing up and what that experience was like for you.
1: Yeah, so I, um, I grew up in uh, Southern California, what we call the Inland Empire, which is about probably 30 miles east of LA. Nearest like big city would be San Bernardino. We have the Ontario Airport. Um, so I went to a school called Claremont High School and it's a pretty liberal town. At least they pride themselves on that, but it's, um, it's like they're they're racist to the point where we had kids who would bring the Confederate flag around and then they would like call me the N-word and just explicit names and they would chant the South would rise again when I was around them. And, you know, I was probably the one black kid in all my classes, maybe a few others, but I think he finished with like, Six percent black people in my graduating class out of 600, so not a lot of representation there. Um, and I played basketball uh, all four years, volleyball for a couple, and it was just nice to have those sports where I could have a chance to get away. And then um, went to junior college for a couple of years, uh, which was really close to where I lived, like five-minute drive, so I pretty much was home. That was a big different culture. I mean chafee college is huge i think i don't even know the enrollment probably thirty thousand plus so you just kind of see people and the junior college aspect is completely different than university like you see someone once you may never see them again besides your classmates um and my teammates were all black and so that was another big difference versus like what kind of happened in high school so I, well
0: going back to like growing up in, in high school in. And being in a part of the country that, like you say, does kind of pride themselves on their progressive view, it's kind of shocking to hear that all these things are going down right outside of Los Angeles, right? And so, you know, I mean, I think there's that preconceived notion that there's all this harmon- harmony with diversity, but that really wasn't happening.
1: No, um, no, there was there was no harmony there. Um, there was a lot of, there was a majority there. I don't know, it was, it was weird because... T- you would think that like the minorities would kind of stick together and and band against the majority, but that didn't happen. Um, there were, it was just kind of like, the Hispanics didn't like the Blacks, the Asians didn't like the Blacks, the Whites didn't like the Blacks, like and some of the Blacks didn't like the Blacks. So <laughs> it was like, everyone was against each other. And it they pushed so hard, my high school specifically pushed so hard to like show that they're full of inclusion and like, they support everyone and they're here for you. But like, that wasn't the case. You can you can just look behind the scenes or behind the like mask that they wore. It was hard. And they came under a lot of fire once those kids brought the Confederate flag to our, our senior picture um, because everyone was disgusted by it. And so it made the news and everyone was looking at administration like, well, what are you guys going to do about it? And you have to make an example of these kids. And administration was hesitant to make an example of them because they were still well known in the, the Claremont community. Um, one kid had a full ride scholarship for baseball. Um, so he. No, everyone's like, I heard this comment a lot. We can't ruin his career because of this one thing. And I was like, let him go, like let it burn. Like I don't care about his baseball career, I don't care. Like, how dare you guys even try to defend him on that? Like, he he knows better. Like, you can't just say that they're supporting, like, the Confederate flag is not a symbol of racism. It's just a support for the Southern pride. What Southern pride? you are from Claremont, California. Like, the Southern California pride, we don't have that. That's not a thing. There's no Southern pride in this area. Like, what links do you have to the South? And so it was just it was just kind of ridiculous that that's the type of things that we heard. And we couldn't fight back because the administration wouldn't help us. There was no benefit of the doubt for the black man. It was, we were always wrong or we're lying. And so it was, it was just us us against the world. And it, it just made it difficult because he didn't know who he could trust.
0: One of the things that you talked about was that sports was kind of an escape when you were dealing with all this struggle being, um, an environment that was significantly racist or even transitioning over to uh, your JC that was still close in the area. So it wasn't like you had made a full escape from where you had grown up. So what was it to move into the sport during your day or into that sport culture?
1: Oh man, it was like walking through those gym doors, um, all your problems just kind of disappeared. And that's what I loved about it. It's like I'm here for these three hours to, to play basketball. And that's that's my worry is basketball and whether or not we'll be running the whole practice because coach is in a bad mood or whether or not we'll have a great practice because everyone's feeling it. Like, will my shot be on? Will my shot be like, I, don't, I don't know. But that's all I have to worry about. And then my teammates were the same thing. It was an escape for them. Um, no matter what. We didn't worry about the test that we had. We didn't worry about studying or all the homework we had after. Like that all got done when we huddled up and we did our little chant at the end. Then those worries came back. But yeah, basketball was always an escape because it was just a chance for me to, to completely focus on something else. Um, it was basketball. I was it. I wanted to learn. I wanted to get better. My coaches were telling me something and I wanted to perfect it.
0: Well, I always looked at, uh, especially in high school and in college, that it's kind of like grown-up recess, right? I'm like, how many people get to do grown-up recess um, and be on scholarship for it? Like, that's the best the best gig ever. Um, and it can really be an escape. I always try to get my athletes to realize that, too. It's it's the stop of the stress and the madness during the day. Um, at least that's the best way to look at it, if possible. So then you you made the transition from Southern California to come up to Portland, Oregon, which is very different part, part of the world, part of the country. Um, so what was your experience like, uh, playing at Concordia, being in the middle of, of Portland? Um, and what were the differences? What were some of the similarities? What was your experience like?
1: Ooh, um, playing, playing was completely different. Uh, so many, the the style of of playing in Portland versus playing in, in the LA area is just completely different. Um, LA is more fast paced, more athletic, more physical. Uh, Portland is is more finesse, more shooters, uh, better dribbling. But yeah, I, it it was just different. And so then, and a lot of the guys on my team kind of have this entitlement about them, where I came in with a chip on my shoulder, like I'm I'm earning all the all every minute I get, I earned. Um, it doesn't matter. Like I was coming in here expecting to start. Not because um, I didn't think that we had people out above me. Like, I didn't care who was above me. Like, I could not be a starter by day one. But by the time the games start, I'm going to start because I'm going to outwork you. And that just wasn't my thing. Like, I'm a dog. Like, I'm a grind. I'm going to work harder. Like, you're not going to just stop me because you have been here for three years or however many years. Like, you'll see that no matter what happens, like, I'm going to work hard. And that was not the same with everybody on my team. Um, there weren't many dog mentalities. I think the couple who were, were either from SoCal or went to junior college, uh, where you, it was the sound of the same thing, like, it's make or break it here. <laughs> like, we don't have another choice after this. We have our two years and you gotta get something out of this two years or you're done. Um, and so then that was just like, I related more to those guys. And, and then being in Portland and in the city itself, which is different. I mean, Portland's weird and that they pride themselves.
0: <laughs> they do pride themselves, yep.
1: And, <laughs> and just, you know, getting rain was, is nice because I think it rained my first year in October. Like, it rained the whole month. That was the most rain I've experienced in the entire 20 years I lived in California, all in that month. Like, I'm pretty sure it rained more in that month than it did my entire life in California. And I was—I liked it. It was different, but I liked it. You know, we got the full seasons. You know, um, the trees changed colors, and like there was actually blooming, and it actually got a little bit cold in the winter versus like seventy with like some clouds. So it was—it was cool in that in that sense, and the food was good. You know, but the, the playing style was different, and it was an adjustment. And the coaching style was way different, and that was also a huge adjustment. Um, there was less trust in the coaching up at Concordia than it was that I experienced in high school and in junior college. And I don't know if that's just because it was a coaching style or if because like it was a co- more of a career that first like a voluntary thing. Um, but there was less, like my coaches were, would teach us everything in preseason. And then one season came, it was like, it's, it's in your hand go do it. And it was less like yelling and it was more like, the yelling happened in practice and, and the control happened in games where if we weren't doing what we were supposed to do, then we weren't playing. Like there was no debate. It was, you not you didn't do what I told you to do, uh, sub for you, come sit on the bench and think about what you did wrong. But that didn't happen so much at Concordia, it was more just yelling, um, which was fine for me because I'm a person who, I, I you're just talking to me loud. Like it makes no difference, but there are others who they shut down, like they don't respond well to yelling and there was no adjustment to that.
0: Did you feel more accepted when you were at Concordia versus like being in high school? Did you look, feel like, Oh man, I'm like one of four black kids on this team and I'm, you know, totally different than everybody else. Or what was, what was the culture like when it came to being in Portland versus being in Southern California?
1: I think I was more accepted at Concordia um, because it was like, okay, this dude's on scholarships. Like he must be good. So obviously I had to earn that respect because no one's ever like, they don't, you don't watch the recruits play Um, (laughs) you. And I, I, I visited late because so Concordia ends their, their semester usually last week of April. I think I took my visit first week of june so there was nobody there 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 was maybe like 10 guys for a run that i was a part of but you know it's a run it's not the same as, the, as in season so you guys have to spend that first month trying to prove yourself on the court and that's kind of where you gain the respect and it's different because you live with these guys now like it's not like high school where i can go away and i don't have to spend lunch with you like we pretty much spent every moment besides class together and that's just that's what it is on college campus that's the nature of college so do you feel people
0: people got to know you in a, a much more a deeper level to know what makes you tick instead of just what the color of your skin is
1: yeah exactly yeah it was it was definitely a deeper connection like we bonded over video games we bonded over like talking about girls we bonded about like uh going to other sporting events like talking about our past like what it was like at junior college or like what our recruiting looked like like there's just so much that we bonded over and it was just like we were just a team and it wasn't we started developing friendships over just like teammate being
0: teammates well one of the other things and you and i talked briefly about this before we even got on uh is that? So many athletic departments, you see a significant amount of diversity, right? Um, I joke that uh, being in one of the widest states in the country, there was still a significant amount of diversity from people being from overseas to uh, we had a high islander population. Um, our our ski team won the national team or no, the national championship because they went and recruited all of Europe's Olympians and and they and they were this amazing ski team, right? And so. In the world of athletics, it it comes down more to can you get the job done more than what your faith background is, what your skin color is, what your sexuality is. It's can you play the game? And so in some ways, there's that sense of, you know, I'm not being judged unless I just am not getting it done. And that we have a little bit more control over. Right. So I, I, I often wonder if that's what gives athletes kind of a sense of peace being in an, an athletic department.
1: Yeah, it definitely helps. Um, I mean... It helps in the sense, like, it doesn't matter who you are, I'm going to yell at you, but it doesn't help in the sense, like, you may lose friendships because they take it a little too personal. Yeah. Like I said before, like, when we walk through those doors, it's, it's a completely different mentality. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, I'm a vocal person, and I'm a vocal leader, and if you're not doing what you're meant to do, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to be a little passive-aggressive, like, okay, guys, we need to do better. Like, no, you messed up, and this is what you did wrong. And I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your position is. I don't care what you do outside of basketball. In that moment, you messed up. And here's how we need to do better to win. Um, And I expected the same in return. Because I didn't, I I mean, it wasn't going to be a personal attack. If it was a personal attack, you would have to dig deep. Mm -hmm. Because, and it would have, you'd have to attack me a lot. Because at this time, like, there is an art to trash talk. And that's what I grew up in like especially coming from my junior college, like that's where we learned to trash talk. And like, it's going to take a lot for you to get under my skin in, in the basketball context. Um, and that was also a big difference in the Concordia culture. They don't do that. <laughs> There's no trash talking at Concordia. And I was like, oh man, this will be easy for me. Cause like, I'm gonna get in your head quick <laughs> regardless and you won't be able to get in mine. So it was nice in the sense, like, it didn't matter what you were, who you were, where you're from, what you did. Like you you were subject to getting trash talk if you're on the court with me and like you, you weren't on my team.
0: You were an equal opportunist is what you're saying.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know? If you step on the court, you could be my grandma, you could be my girlfriend, like it doesn't matter. I'm playing to win and you don't bring that weak stuff around me. Like that's just how it is.
0: Well, I, I, you know, in my sport, it was always sarcasm. And I always told my athletes, if I stop being sarcastic with you, you need to worry. And it had nothing to do if I liked you or not. It was like, okay, something's off and you better come find out what's off to to get that fixed. Yeah. I I was always definitely an equal opportunist when it came to dishing out sarcasm to my players. Um, So leading to leading to that, do you feel that sports creates a racist atmosphere or do you think it's the other way around?
1: I think fans create the racist atmosphere and put it onto athletes. Um, because uh, being in many locker rooms and being around a bunch of guys, like we all want to win. I think that's the, like the the competitive drive of athletes. Like they hate losing <laughs> more than anything else <laughs> in the world, um, and so they'll put their differences aside to win. I mean, there's, I had an incident with, so on my, my team in Germany, like this past season, there's four, four black guys. Uh, one was half American, one was half African, one was just full German. Um, and this dude, one of the guys, like we just butted heads, me and him. And we just, it was just one day, we both just blew up. <laughs> we were both like, like, I don't know who you think you are, but like, I'm not gonna back down from anything. And we were just like, it was a full on yelling match. But, you know, at the end of the day, I knew if something were to happen, he'd have my back, and he knew likewise. Um, And that's just the nature of teammates, like, we got, but for me in my basketball careers, they got my back, and I got theirs. And the people who made it bad were the fans, where they were, that's when you started to see a divide. Um, If people started chaining racial slurs, or like, being hostile then do you look to your teammates and they don't agree, but then they're frozen with like, I don't know how to react, which is kind of what you're seeing right now in the nation. It's like, we just don't know how to react. And that's not their fault because they're also put in an awkward situation. Um, how do you step in? How do you stop it? And it, that's not something anybody prepares us for, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't, and fans get so passionate about stuff that's really none of their business like just sit there and watch the game but like don't talk about oh they look like they hate each other today in their chemistry I wonder if it's because of it like no it's just sometimes we just don't work like sometimes people's moods aren't on top like that's just how it is like but don't don't project your life onto the athletes because they're not they're just there to ball they're just there to win
0: yeah can you imagine if you went into like half of their jobs like somebody's an insurance agent and and you're doing commentary and and i know as as sports professionals we choose to have our our career um in front of everybody i used to joke with my mom i go you wouldn't give my siblings advice on how to teach but you'll give me advice on how to coach right and so a lot of the external of sports is what causes the the heart you know the harshness the chaos the 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 bad feelings and you know cuz everything you describe is the internal part of sports the game and being a teammate it's the complete opposite right it actually is that bringing together and it's the external that kind of tears it apart so you know one of the things that you were talking about is you know people don't know how to react in these in these hard times right you know and and The country is very explosive right now, and it's not the only time this has happened, right? Like there's been several events. I think about my childhood of things that happened in L. A. and the riots in L. A. and and so we've seen these things progress over years. I mean, you haven't, and you weren't you weren't alive in L. A. at that time, uh. But yeah, but you've also seen things, you know, Ferguson, all these things that have happened, and a lot of people don't know how to react, and they don't know how to support the people around them that they care about and they don't want to say something that makes it worse. You know, I was talking to a a coach and she said, I go, she's like, I have five African-American athletes on my team and I don't know what to say because she wanted to show care for them, but she also didn't want to belittle their experience at the same time. So saying that, what would you say to uh, athletes? What would you say to coaches or even parents to help support people that they really care about that, you know, are in the minority population to
1: help them through that and stay connected to them. Yeah, um I guess starting with teammates. I'll reach out to them cuz like yeah, like we do share this bond on, on the court or on the field or wherever, but like we all know that we're building a deeper bond than just just the sport itself and you know, it's it's nice as an athlete to have your teammate reach out to you and be like, "Hey, like you good? Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going through your mind. But like, I'm here for you. How can I help? And even if you're like afraid to reach out, like, I know it's hard. It's, it's a weird time. It's so weird. But like, that's just kind of how it is right now. Um, yeah, my advice would just be like, just reach out. It doesn't have to be something super dramatic. Like, you don't need to be like, all right, tell me your entire life story about all the times you've been abused by the police officers. or Like, you've experienced racism. But like, a simple like, hey, I've been thinking about you and I stand with you. I'll fight with you. Like, if you need a place to vent or a sounding board or anything, like, I'm here for you. That works so much. And that means so much to us. Like, that first week after the whole riot started, after the whole George, George Floyd incident, um, my inbox was just full. <laughs> and it, it was so encouraging to see. Um, people that I didn't expect to message me, message me. And they're like, look, I'm here for you. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I don't know what I want you to do either. But, but I appreciate the sentiment and I appreciate you reaching out. And then on a coaching level, like kind of the same thing, but from a more professional sense of how can I make a difference? Because you are the professional in this instance. It's your culture. Like you have a culture of coaching. And if you can see that there's a problem, then say something. Try to make a difference. Try to integrate yourself more. Were you a coach that didn't do a lot of stuff with your team? Did you do team bonding stuff? Did you ask your team about certain cultures? If they celebrated a holiday, did you ask them the significance of the holiday? What about traditions? If you see your players doing a certain like prayer or um, ritual before a game, did you ask them why they do that? Do you ask them the significance? how are you allowing their culture that they're bringing into your team to grow? Are you letting it grow or are you blocking it? Like those just simple things like that. Um, You know, I, I never really got that from coaches because I think that's kind of, it's a hard thing to bring up. Like, is that true? Um, But a couple of my, my coach last year, my coach this season, they both were like, yeah, I see you pray before a game. Like, I talked to God too. Something simple like that was like, that's, that's awesome. I appreciate that. And then they my coach issue was a bit better. I mean, his English was not there. Um, let's just <laughs> say that. But he was he was able to talk to me like in a way that we both could understand in my broken German, in his broken English, there was there was connection. And um parents, if you're I don't know it's it's hard for parents I mean I know my mom she she didn't know a lot about what went on during high school until a couple of years after I graduated mainly because I just didn't want to tell her because I didn't want to worry and a lot of times that's I'm not alone in that I think a lot of kids want to protect their their parents Um, but yeah I, I would just open it up the floor and give them a safe space to talk about it and let them be emotional without any comments or negative like repercussions which i don't think any parent would but there is that uh, like chance that it may happen so just kind of get rid of that
0: well and that's the thing is is knowing what makes your kid tick your player tick your teammate is extremely important you know and i I always lean to both you know coaches and athletes is you should be able to have a a half an hour conversation with every one of your players or teammates and it shouldn't be about something not related to your sport you know it's really easy to, to lean on somebody and trust somebody if they really know what makes you tick and i think those things uh go so much further than any x's and o's could possibly go so when, you know, we talk about mental health a lot. How has all of this impacted your mental health? Do you think, or just the the weight that you carry along with you to have to face this day in and day out? How has that impacted you through growing up, and even when we had these kind of these bigger events in the United States? How has that impacted you?
1: Um, most recently, uh, it was a lot. I don't know. I was just overwhelmed. Um, exhausted probably would be the most, like not physically, not even really emotionally, but mentally I was drained. I was so drained. And I just remember, like, I think I just texted people that I'm like, I'm not going to be on my phone today. Like, I'm just going to lay in bed and probably sleep all day. Um, and I did (laughs) I probably slept like 14 hours that day and I'm not a big sleeper. Um, but that's just, it's, it's hard it's really hard because we were taught all these little nuanced things like how to be polite but not in a sense because that's the proper thing to do but as survival and that's one of the things that was probably the most heartbreaking for me to see was like these parents teaching their these kids their little children no more than five years old and how to react to people and like it broke my heart because these are the same lessons that I got, I'm like, we haven't done better in 15 years. In 20 years, we're still, we still have to teach our kids that you respond to everybody with yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, please and thank yous. Not because it's, we're doing it because that's the right thing to do, but we're doing it because we need to deescalate the situation. Appease their authority. Let them know that we aren't a threat because we see them as being like ahead of us and stronger than us. And it's, it's exhausting, but it builds this strength that I don't think anyone could really understand unless you've been a part of it. Um, One of the things I told my friends, uh, she was asking like what she could do. And I was like, listen, because I don't, I don't need someone to fix my scars. I don't need someone to carry my burden. I just need people to understand that like there will be times where I just need to take off this armor and I just need to sit and I just need to be quiet and rest. And when I'm ready, I'll pick it back up and I'll put it back on. But my scars are my scars. I'm not ashamed of them. They are what they are. My burden is my burden. I look to Jesus to help me carry it. I don't need you to help me because you're dealing with your own thing too and i acknowledge and i recognize that but just understand that like we've been dealing with this our whole lives and it's we may come off as apathetic but that's not the point we're not trying to come off as cold we're not trying to come off as distant but when you have the whole world attacking you you build a callus you build this type of mentality where it's like everyone's out to get me so i just got to I gotta do my own thing, I gotta focus on me. And I've been fortunate enough where I've been able to, to build, make sure my heart doesn't turn cold and it stays soft and it stays warm and I can still have that compassion. But I know, I know a lot of people who aren't like that, which is like when eluding started, like I don't agree with it, but I understand. I understand why. People are so frustrated, like their voices aren't heard anymore. They did the talking. But now they're like, talking's over. It's time for war. And that just kind of that's just kind of what we've been dealing with. I think that's what we saw with, with the riots and is just the anger just overflowing. Um, because they you can only hold in so much before it, it, it tips. Yeah. Like We did the peaceful protests with Colin Kaepernick, with LeBron, with the I Can't Breathe shirts, with, like, uh, giving speeches at Grammys. And all of those were met with such hostile reactions. So now what do we do? You you, you don't like when we protest. You don't like when we peaceful protest. So now that we are, now there's a reaction that's violent, you don't like that either. Well, choose one. (laughs) You can't, now you can't go, oh, we'll go back to being peaceful we've been doing that for four years and you didn't recognize it so now all of a sudden and and that's just like that's what I think is the most frustrating part is just the backlash where it's like well no not black lives matter all lives matter well white well that's not the point <laughs> we're not saying that we're better we're not saying that we want to be better we don't want to be glorified we we want to be treated as equal and we want we like We're not saying black lives matter more. We're saying we matter too.
0: And the big thing is, is hopefully this will turn into a long-term change, not just a short-term moment. And I think that's what happens so often is, is we have these moments instead of looking at it, what are we gonna do for the long haul? So when you have kids running around and they have kids running around, they will be blown away that these things even were happening because life has changed so much. And that's what I really hope talking to my younger clients about this when they get really like amped up and I'm like, I love your passion, but take your passion for a lifetime, not just for a moment. And so I hope that people can look at it that way and say, how can we do real change and and make it that the generations to come don't even understand when they hear the stories of their grandparents or their parents, right? I hope that that, that is what direction that we end up going from all of this that's been happening in our country the last uh, month or so. Chris, you are always amazing to talk to. You have such great insight. Um, I'm excited for whatever you do next, whether it be going back to Germany or moving on to uh, look in the world of being a sport counselor. There's such a need and you will uh, you will be fantastic at it. And I know so many athletes that are gonna to really um, thrive under uh, your guidance and experience. And I appreciate you being so vulnerable because this is a very sensitive topic right now, um, but it's so great to get insight into the world of of a, of a, an athlete that has gone through so much of the struggle, um, of being an African American athlete, um, and help the bigger population understand what goes into, uh, your life day in and day out. So I greatly appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, always a pleasure. It's good to talk to you again, and I'm glad that I was able to, uh, share my story a little bit.